Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, May 24th, 2021. On the show today, news, listener questions, and we talk with someone who's created the Disney Comeback Index, which tells us how close Disney is to pre-COVID normal operations. Plus, in our main segment, Jim finishes up the history of Zorro in the parks and what it might mean for characters like the Mandalorian. Let's get started by bringing in the man whose biblical studies lead him to ask, at this point, aren't both testaments kind of old? It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? Okay, okay. And, and believe it or not, Len, I have done some Bible study. I don't know if you've ever read Paul's letters to the Corinthians. This is basically when they're they're founding the, the Christian church in, in, in Corinth. And they're worth reading today because Paul comes across as the grumpy head office. I mean, they're basically... <laughs> Talk, talking to the remote locations, this, the outposts. Yeah, well, that's exactly, you know, just to get at the letters. Do we have to open on Sunday? Yes, yes, you have to open on Sunday. <laughs> Part of our corporate values. Did you guys not go through the training? Did you pick up nothing in the training? <laughs> that's it, exactly. And it's just, it's it's one of those things where it's like, you're reading that and it's like, I did not expect this in the Bible. It's like, look... <laughs> Don't make me come down Look, there. We gave you guys casual Fridays, all right? Now, come on. There you go. <laughs> That's fantastic. All right, Jim, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.bandcamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, Care Killaroo, Alex with a Y, GW Deacon, and Brian White. And longtime subscribers, Aaron Rift 22 Just Friends, Sean Encinas, and Michael from MNJ Farms. Jim, these are the folks who convinced Eastern Airlines to give frequent flyer miles for each ride on the old Tomorrowland attraction if you had wings. Eventually amassing so many loyalty points, Eastern had to close the ride. True story. <laughs> well, wow. They don't talk about this in the official Disney history, do they? They do not. They do not. All right, Jim, before we do the news, a quick question. You're familiar with the Waffle House Index, right? That's the thing they do with the hash browns, right? The smothered, covered <laughs> chunk... <laughs> I think I think you're thinking of the Waffle House menu, Jim, not the uh, not the index. So the the Waffle the Waffle House index is a metric uh, named after the Waffle House restaurant chain by a former uh, manager of FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency. And the role of the Waffle House index was to determine how bad things were after a storm like a hurricane, and how much assistance the federal government would need. So the, the index actually has um, three levels based on the kind of operations a Waffle House has after a storm. So green is Waffle House is serving the full menu. The restaurant has power. There's no damage or it's limited, right? And basically the, you can walk into a Waffle House and order whatever you want. Yellow means they're serving a limited menu. There's no power or there's only power from a generator or food supplies might be low. And red, the thing you never want to see, is the Waffle House is closed, indicating severe damage, severe flooding, or not, and I'm not making this up, nuclear fallout. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I love is if you actually go to the, the Wikipedia for the Waffle House Index, they have an image from, I guess, after Hurricane Katrina in Biloxi, Mississippi, and yeah. it's it literally, it's a Waffle House that has been taken down to its foundation. The only thing left standing... Literally, or what? Six, the chairs, the, the, chairs, <laughs> the bar stools. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I mean, technically, you could eat with you could eat the hash browns uh, with a plate on your lap. I'm just saying. So that's that's yellow to me. 
Anyway, uh, Jim, today we have a special guest on the show. His name is Matt Pedalicchio, and he's developed a similar metric that tells us how much of Walt Disney World's daily operations is running as compared to pre-COVID levels. It's called the Disney Comeback Index. Matt, welcome to the show. Yeah, guys. Thank you so much for having me. I'm a big fan of your work. Oh, thanks, for uh, so, thanks for much for having us. So, so what is this? So it kind of started with, in mid-December, I started a popular thread on one of the Disney forums called the Walt Disney World Comeback, the before and after game. Okay. And if you're familiar with the over and under in gambling terms, this is essentially the same thing. It just so happens to make it about returning Disney items lost due to COVID. Okay. So each week I would select a random topic and assign a before and after date where I would attempt it to try to divide the fandom, you know, try to get half the people <laughs> or have people go after, but I wasn't so quite good at it. Um, a couple you, of the early topics. You're, you're bookmaking here, aren't you? Like, <laughs> exactly. I want, I want same number of people on both sides. I can get the VIG. All right, go ahead. Exactly. That was the goal. So, you know, a couple of the early topics was like the Epcot monorail line. Now this is like, you know, mid-December, right? Oh, so okay, I'm right. like thinking Park Hoppin's coming back on January 1st. I'm going to make January 2nd the before and after date. Okay. The whole community went after and they were right. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. um, you know, yes, I, were. I tried and I tried and I failed. And then the second topic was annual passes, which I did a little bit later. But of course, that still, that's not back. Right. What's, so, what's the date you've got on annual passes right now? Back at that point, let me pull it up here. Because you've got a whole spreadsheet that tracks all this, right? I do. Yeah. So it was March 31st. So this is, again, this is mid-December-ish. Um, you know, I threw March 31st. So that has a verdict already, and that's it's going to be after because right. it's still not available. What's the, uh, what, do you have a new date for that? Uh, I don't yet. Um, I was thinking about throwing that as a bonus out there. So um, if, if I did, I would think it's uh, the end of July. That would probably be my next before and after date for that. Okay. I might take the after on that, but we'll see. So how do you how do you keep track of these things? So just kind of going along those lines. So so basically, I stuck with that game, and I eventually moved to DBC Discord, where my friends Jason and Phil, they're the host of the podcast, DBC Pod, asked me to continue the game. And then in early April, I pitched a new project called the Disney Comeback Index, which is an evolution to the before and after game, where I would go to quantify what level of the current Disney World experiences versus the one we had in early 2020. Oh, sweet. Okay. All right. And you maintain this in a spreadsheet. And I've seen the spreadsheet. It's a, at least a thousand rows long. It's yeah, massive. So I, yep. So I started with WaltDisneyWorld.com and just dumped everything from attractions, <laughs> entertainment, resorts. Um, it, you know, it was kind of real raw data and I, I, I cleaned that up and massaged it. Yeah. But yeah, it was definitely ugly in the beginning, but it's pretty organized now. So go ahead. All right. And you've got it organized into categories, right? So there's like, there's attractions, obviously. There's entertainment, there's dining, there's resorts. You've got paid events in there. What else? I first had to just get a list of everything I could I, I, that, that was imaginable, right? So I started just doing broad level categories. So, you know, obviously the rides, you know, there are attractions mm -hmm. and, and entertainment. So that's the nighttime spectaculars and, and the atmosphere and all those things dining, resorts, paid events, and Disney Springs, like you mentioned. And then I had to break those things into subcategories because all those things aren't equal. You know, oh, uh, good rise, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. So rise, the rise of the resistance and flight of passage, mm -hmm. I count as two game changer attractions. They're the top level attractions. They're not going to equal Dumbo or, or Carpets of Aladdin. So, <laughs> and, and, and of course, both of those, all of those are back. So it really doesn't affect the bottom line, but you still need to quantify those things. Right, right. And Rise of the Resistance is probably more important than like Bibbidi Bobbidi Boutique, right? Just Absolutely. in terms of the number of the people that, that experience it on a given day. Absolutely. Oh, Correct. that's fantastic. And then 
how do you handle things like parades, which are kind of back right now as cavalcades, right? So a, a parade might not be back, but we've got cavalcades, which didn't exist prior. So how do you handle that? So, yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. So um, the first thing I did was, you know, obviously I, I had a parade um, option in there, full scale parades. And that's right sure. now Disney only had, you know, Festival of Fantasy running in, in March of 2020. Right. So what I did was if that was worth 1500 points, right, okay. in terms of my overall formula on how I figure out what's popular and what's not and what's what's what weighs more, what weighs less. Okay. What I did was I factored in basically bonus and penalties against those numbers. <laughs> So, so if if we're hold, missing, hold on. The let, me, let me pause here. Have you ever played Dungeons and Dragons? <laughs> you know, actually, I only played one time, um, <laughs> and, and my friend's very critical because I didn't come back and play again. But I did play once. All right, go ahead. All right, continue. Continue about the parades thing. Then, all right, go ahead. So, if festival festival fantasy is worth fifteen hundred points, how much is a cavalcade worth? You know, and that's what I had to figure out. So, what I did was I came up with bonuses and penalties. Okay. So, a bonus. To have the cavalcades back, I figured that was 500 points versus the 1,500. So, 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 three, so three cavalcades, like like all of the cavalcades combined are 500 points or one cavalcade? Correct. Okay. Well, all the cavalcades combined. Okay. Correct. All right. Huh. Interesting. So, and then the other thing was like, you know, the lack of pre-shows and plexiglass and mass oh, wearing right. and those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had, I had to factor them into as well. So, what I did was I signed those guys penalties. So for for instance, I have 16 e-ticket attractions right now, and that's you know your your mountains and right. and seven doors mine trains and and some of the Toy Story stuff, right? So mm-hmm. to me, like losing an an eight two um, attraction, which is what I have as a subcategory, would probably equal you know all the plexiglass that you would have to deal with, and all the mask wearing, and all and all the annoyance of sitting oh, on a wide okay. movie show. All right, so if we get something like the Walt Disney World Railroad back, how many points would that be? So I have that as a, an A7, which is basically an exhibit, walkthrough, site view type of experience. So it wouldn't bring back a lot, that's for sure, but it would definitely factor into the comeback. How, much, uh, how many points do you have for the masks, for wearing masks? For mask wearing mandates, now, all my numbers that I'm going to give to you right now mm-hmm. are at the end of April. Yeah, yeah that's fine. Um, so I still have to make some changes for the main numbers, but um, so that adjustment is 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 a minus six eighty. So basically, exactly almost minus seven hundred points off the total experience. Okay, fair so enough. as those mass mandates start to come off, yeah, the, the adjustment, the penalty adjustment will, will will be reduced. And then how many points did you have for shows like um, over at the studios, Beauty and the Beast, uh, and Indiana Jones? I have a few different tiers for this show. So sure. the number one, the number one, the first two shows is the Festival of the Lion King and the Indiana Jones Epic Stunt Spectacular. Okay, and how much is Indy worth? They're T ones, okay, and those T ones are worth six hundred points each. All where right. where Finding Nemo the musical is worth three hundred points, and then you asked me about Beauty and the Beast, right? Yeah. And Voyage of the Little Mermaid, I had them as T threes, and they're worth one hundred and fifty points each. So if we get back. If we would have got back Indiana Jones plus any one of those shows, it would have more than compensated for wearing masks in the parks. <laughs> yep. Huh. I mean, that's that seems reasonable to me. I mean, it's not it's not obviously wrong. That's how long did you take you to come up with the scoring system on this? Oh man. So <laughs> I, 
I'm trying to think when I started on this. I've, I've been working on this for a couple of months. All right. Again, first it was just getting basically every line item I could think of. And yeah. right now it's over a thousand line items. You know, it's it's everything you could think of. With the exception of the smells. I couldn't quantify the smells <laughs> of Main Street. Plus they're back anyway, mostly, right? Mostly, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, speaking of which, how do you uh, do you, do you have anything for like the ambiance that international cast members bring to Epcot? I don't have any I don't have anything like that, but I do have things like um you know, atmospheric things. Oh, there you um, go. Yeah, all right. That, that, know, that counts. Interactive things, street streetmosphere, those things. Those things are part of it. Awesome. It's fantastic. Jimmy, you have any questions? Well, I just kind of feel bad for Matt for especially the past month or so to watch yeah. <laughs> how we went from the six feet distancing to the three feet distancing to virtually overnight. You don't have to wear your mask outside to have those sorts of changes, dynamic changes happening. Yeah. How did you stay on top of that? So I'm trying to do my updates once a month. You know, it's funny. So, you know, Jason from DBC, Bob was like, man, you got to get this stuff out ASAP because things are changing <laughs> on the fly, you know, and and it's kind of funny, you know. So, you know, just just think about this month. We got Festival of the Lion King that came back, right. came in Cafe open up, Beach Club's opening up. Yeah. We have Boo Bash, which is going to be a, not a full replacement for the Halloween party, but it's going to be a bonus towards that, right? Because right. it's a paid event. So those things I had to factor in. Yeah. So my plan going forward is to update this once a month, just going and selecting the items that are back and then looking at the bonuses again, looking at the adjustments I call them, the bonuses and the penalties mm-hmm. and factoring into them. All right. And the, the maximum level of the Disney Comeback Index is 100, right? It's a zero to 100 scale, right? It is. But so here's the thing. There's certain things that will never come back, right? So yeah. like look at, Am- look at Ample Hills, right? That's done. That's not coming back. That right. was there in February 2020. That's never returning, unfortunately. Now they just open up an ice cream place. Does that equal an ample hills? Well, that's no, but yeah, it but, doesn't. It doesn't. But it, it equals something. So so yeah. it's are we ever gonna get to hundred percent? No. But in October, when we add, you know, Remy's, Remy, when we add yeah. exactly, when we add harmonious, if, if that if that actually starts then, this this harmonious equal, you know, I guess maybe losing an Epcot forever and a rivers of light permanently. I don't know, but to me, it's – and that's the big thing that's missing right now, the nighttime spectaculars. Right. I have Happily Ever After basically worth 3,100 points, you know, and it's it's a massive thing. When that comes back, oh, it's yeah. really going to boost entertainment. Is that the highest point value for any nighttime entertainment? It is. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. What's the, uh, what's the highest attraction point total? It's 1,500, so it's Rise of the Resistance. And I have a flight of passage because to me, I feel like both of those things are game changers. I And I put it out into the community and yeah, yeah. I didn't get any arguments with that. I, I kind of feel like those are the two things that people really want to do when they get there, especially if they haven't done it. Yeah. If you could see Rise of the Resistance and Flight of Passage or Happily Ever After, you could argue both those points. That's fantastic. So what's the current level, Matt, of the Disney Comeback Index? Where are we at? So as of April, the Disney Comeback Index was only 52.35%. Okay, but we expect that to be uh, to go up a little bit uh, based on what, what's already happened in May, right? Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things is I have percentages per category. So <laughs> if you're just the, the type of person that wants to go down there and experience the interactions, you're not going to miss a beat. I mean, that's it's 89.3% there right now. Right. You know, it's, it's the entertainment, which is only at 6%. Are you, counting, are, you, are you counting character greetings as entertainment or as attractions? Mean, mean greets are saying that's part of entertainment. Okay. All right. Fair enough. All right. That makes sense to me. We're now in that weird middle space where 
the characters are back, but they, you know, I, I've been watching the footage lately. For example, for Chef Mickey's at, at the Contemporary, and it's just sort of like, "Hi, I'm walking through, I'm waving," or the things where the characters are standing on the porch of someplace and waving, and it's just sort of like, not quite a meet and greet, but you know, you do get to see the character, and and I and I actually have that factored in as well. I call them random character paloozas, like the Joy <laughs> Paloozas. <laughs> Who catching bees? Um. So yeah, I, I have that factored in, and to me that that equals about four meet and greets. It's not all the meet and greets, you know. Yeah. I quantified thirty nine meet and greets are missing right now. Yeah. I so that, yeah. I I factored in the Palooza part. Um. Was was about four of them returning. So you know, it's getting some points back, but it's obviously when meet and greets come back, that's gonna that's gonna boost entertainment quite a bit as well. Yeah, that totally makes sense. All right, Matt, where can people find you for updates to the Disney Comeback Index? So most of my work can be found on the DBC Pod Discord server. So I don't know if you want to provide that link in your notes or something like that. And then I'll also provide uh, my Google Drive links to the before and after comeback game, the original game, because I still do about a topic a week or maybe every other week. And then going forward, the DCI will have at least the summary page will be visible to everybody. Yeah, send me the links and I'll put them in the show notes and we make those available to everyone. Awesome. Yeah, fantastic. All right. Well, thanks for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate your time today as well. Thank you. All right, Jim, let's do the news. Folks, the Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish podcast. For a worry-free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. All right, Jim, uh, some news out of Walt Disney World in Florida, specifically that the Disney Vacation Club has announced plans to change Big Pine Key from cash rooms to DVC Resort Studios in 2022. And so, Jim, this is the uh, if, uh, this is the building. Big, Big Pine Key is the building that uh, is runs east to west, uh, just east of the main building, and it faces like the long side faces either the pool or the Polynesian. It's actually the closest external building to the existing DVC villa, so it kind of makes sense from a geographic perspective? No, I get that. I, in fact, I, I want to say at a recent Disney press event, I stayed in the Boca Chica. The next building over to the to the north of that, yeah. That one actually has rooms that face out onto Seven Seas Lagoon and, and have a, a relatively decent view of of the castle. And that So those are, those are theme park view rooms. I think that's why Disney did not make those DVC rooms. Got it. Okay. So I'm just kind of intrigued that this is the building. I mean, I guess I get it. You're right about the proximity to the villas. Likewise, Mm -hmm. the proximity to the main building Mm -hmm. and the restaurant and transportation. So, you know, on paper, it makes sense. So it does a couple of things, right? Um, Number one is it takes cash rooms out of circulation. And you and I have seen the occupancy numbers at the Grand Floridian lately. It's not Mm -hmm. good, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas DVC demand is not only is is high right now, but it will continue to be high because the number of points that people banked when they couldn't travel during the pandemic is astounding. And so there there are way more points chasing rooms now than ever Mm -hmm. before. So Disney needs to supply, needs a bigger supply of of DVC rooms. This is going to help with that. The other thing too is, and we've talked about this on the show many times, but when Disney sells DVC rooms uh, or DVC contracts, that kind of theme park revenue, and so it's they're basically on this treadmill where every year or so you need to add new DVC inventory to give people mm-hmm. something to buy to book more revenue because if you don't then that 
revenue segment falls down and nobody wants to be the CEO when that happens. Mm, get that. Yeah. So it'll, so taking by taking rooms out of inventory, it'll boost the regular occupancy numbers, of the grand Floridian. It almost also make it harder to get a regular, uh, regular cash room at the grand Floridian, which mm. allows them to increase prices, right? Supply and demand. So that's interesting. Do we have a timeline on this? 2022? Or? Summer 2022? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm still surprised that they haven't done this at other, um, every deluxe so far. Like, take more rooms. I mean, they've done it at Animal Kingdom Lodge, right? So where you've got a mix yep. of, yeah. And they've done it at mm-hmm. Wilderness Lodge, right? And yep. they've done it at Beach yep. Club. Um, but, like, you know, why, is it, why hasn't it gone to Yacht Club yet? I think that's inevitability at this yeah, point. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be, it will be inevitable that uh, um, mm-hmm. at some point, like, every... Every deluxe hotel will have a, a, a DVC component. Okay, makes sense. Uh, next bit of news, and this is uh, courtesy of our friends over at wdwmagic.com. Uh, complimentary magic bands will no longer be issued with annual passes as of August 16th, 2021. Uh, so a couple of interesting uh, things here. Disney mentions that the launch of Disney Mobile or Magic Mobile, their app means that they no, no longer need to give out magic bands to use all of the nifty things in the park, like tap styles and whatnot. But Jim, the August 16th, 2021, a random day in August, why'd they pick that day? Obviously not tied to the end of Fiscal the- Fiscal year, uh, right? Yeah. It's a random, it's a, this is what, the third Monday in, in August. There's no historical significance to it. So some people have asked, yeah. is this the day on which annual passes will, will go on sale again? Oh, okay. Right. Given the past week of news between the whole CDC, you know, hey, you don't need to wear masks outside yeah. anymore. And to watch the parks in real time Be like, react eh, to that. No. <laughs> Do we? Do we? Yeah. Do we not? Really? <laughs> yeah. My local gym did the same thing. They were like, mm-hmm. CDC came out with their, with their guidance. And the first thing they did is remove the temperature checks, which mm-hmm. I kind of like the temperature checks because – when I go super early in the morning, like, you know, at 6.15, I need a little piece of positive reinforcement <laughs> to get me started in <laughs> the day. No, and even right. something as simple as, like, you don't have a fever. Like, I take that as a win, right? Okay. Like, yeah. So my, my gym has now said you don't need to wear masks when you're exercising indoors. And mm-hmm. the day after I went there, so, they you know, they did this, like, email blast to everybody and it's notification mm-hmm. in the app and everything. The next day, still 80% of the people were still wearing the masks. And I don't know if it was, like, mm-hmm. they didn't get the memo or they're like, you know what? I'm good the way I am. It's a learned behavior. And this is something people do that makes them comfortable. Right. You know, the New York Times had this thing that said, you know, basically mask, uh, mask may not be mandated, but for some, they're here forever. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And you, yeah. if you look at the data, right, the, the cases of influenza in the, in the United States over the last year have dropped dramatically because people are wearing masks. So not for nothing, but like, mm-hmm. like I'm going to Vegas in a couple of weeks. I will be mm-hmm. wearing a mask in Las Vegas, Las Vegas, not because I'm afraid of COVID, but because every time I go to Las Vegas, I get sick. Every single time, yep. right? Yep. And so, like, I'm just, you know, I'm going to wash my hands. I'm going to wear the mask, which is, you know, and whatever. It's fine. And maybe stay away from the buffet. <laughs> Are you kidding? <laughs> I'm going to yeah. every buffet imaginable. <laughs> like, there are some risks worth taking, Jim. That's, I think that's okay. a lesson we'll be right. from uh, Olaf and Frozen, right? <laughs> All right. Okay. So here's, okay. My, here's my question to you, Jim, about the magic bands mm-hmm. no longer being issued, right? So magic bands are going away. FastPass is going to a paid option. Other than mobile ordering, what is left from the $2 billion that Disney spent on my magic plus at the beginning of the, of the 2010s. Think about that for an upcoming show. You and I have both heard the story about, you know, whenever somebody would bring up, 
the $2 billion development price tag and how so many things were left on the table and the pushback from every Disney exec I've ever talked with is like, we made it all back in turkey legs. The fact that people were able to buy things without thinking, that moment of sales resistance when you reach to your wallet and you're pulling out the credit card and, you know, it's just that magic bands made that moment go away. And it's just sort of like, you know, we've recovered the two billion, we're fine. I think in in a weird sort of way, this is Disney. It's like, all right, you know, given how people are with their phones and. Oh yeah, that's, yeah, that's definitely it. Yeah, I guess so, the, the question uh, I would have asked, so my next question would have been, if they were back in 2010 and you had and you knew you were going to spend $2 billion, is that the way that you would spend $2 billion again? Or would you build rides? <laughs> so a question for another time. Because I mean, I mean well, no, because is, I mean, rides, rides bring in people, people eat turkey legs, right? Could you achieve the same thing a different way? That's a fascinating question. But again, remember, this, this is Disney. The, yeah, the and it's hindsight, company right? that paid. Yeah. Oh, no, no, always, always. And, you know, and more to the point, it's like $2 billion. Did you notice the 70.3 we paid for Fox? Yeah, I mean, I mean two, $2 billion. It's not a rounding error, but it's not something that they're going to spend a lot of time on. Yeah. <sighs> That's both fascinating and horrifying <laughs> at the same time. So. All right. Speaking of money, uh, Jim, Disneyland announced that its upcoming Spider-Man ride, Web Slingers, a Spider-Man adventure, uh, which opens June 4th, will have optional merchandise for purchase. And I believe, believe the price tag is $65 that allows you to shoot more spider webs or use other character strengths like Iron Man during the game. So a couple of things here, Jim. Uh, one, is this the first major theme park ride to offer things for sale that changes the ride experience? Hmm. Can you think of another Disney or Universal ride where you buy something, bring it on the ride, and it changes the ride experience? What this makes me think of is the the wands for Universal. Right, for, right. But you can't bring it on Gringotts and, and have it change Gringotts, right? And you wouldn't want no. people on a roller coaster um, waving around no. sharp uh, wooden sticks. No, 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 you would not. But it's just fascinating to start down this path. You say fascinating. I was horrified. What bothers me is that, that this is one of those literally have and have not. That, that's my thing, right? Like. Yeah. Like why? I mean, we all paid $150 or whatever to get to the theme park. Why do we now have to pay another 60 to get a different a ride experience? Well, we talked on the last show about the Disney Forward project, which again is supposed to mix retail and dining yeah, and yeah, yeah. hotel inside the parks. And remember that, you know, that the example they keep showing is the Fantasy Springs addition at the, the, the Tokyo Park, right? where there's going to be a hotel inside of the land. The people who are willing to pay for that experience, you know, get a that much more magical vacation. I, you know, I'm, I'm actually okay with that. Like, I'm okay with that. I think the wands and the lightsabers, all that is fine, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's sort of secondary. A theme park experience is built around number one rides, number two theming, right? Mm-hmm. The ancillary stuff, right? Again, the the lightsabers, the the wands that are, you know, extra cost that enable other things. That's fine. You can enjoy, you, you've paid a hundred and whatever dollars to get in you, mm-hmm. to go on the rides to experience the theming. The other stuff is secondary. Even having a hotel in the middle of the land, that's all secondary, mm-hmm. right? The idea that now the ride experience is going to be different based on how much money you paid is mm-hmm. troubling to me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, so, so when I thought about this, like I was on my, you know, my, my, my walk that I, my daily mm-hmm. constitutional. I'm like, whenever Disney announces something like this, my first instinct is to say, what other things like this can they do? Mm-hmm. So could they charge you $5 to ride at the front of every, uh, of every ride? Oof. 
right? Or the back, I, right? I, I, you can request your seat. Yeah. It's five dollars mm. or two dollars, whatever, right? Why not? I was thinking more to the effect of: Could they give you an add-on scope for Buzz Lightyear laser blasters? Right. So you, you know, you could be that much more accurate, and it's definitely a slippery slope. And but it, but at the same time. It'll be interesting to see what the actual sales for this are. Because face it, unless they're telling you going into the attraction, I mean, if you come out, go to the gift shop and are like, oh, your score was terrible. Right. Well, what if you bought this? And then you get back in line. In fact, I was just talking with some folks at Panasonic about if you think about the number of technologically based things that Disney has tried mm -hmm. that they've then abandoned, whether it's My Pal Mickey or do you remember from the Millennium, they had... That interactive thing that was kind of like three inches across and like three quarters of an inch thick and weighed as much as a dinner plate. And when you rode through an attraction, the lights would occasionally go off and it would buzz. And, right. you know, how they learned the hard way. It's like, well, you know, nobody wants something like that dangling off of their clothes in Florida. So it, it went away fairly quickly. And you honestly wonder, are, are people going to pay $65 for something they can use on one, one ride. ride. Yeah. So $65, yeah. you got to carry around it with you for the rest of the day. Yeah. And not only that, yeah. but unless they tell you ahead of time, like I think very few people are going to buy it before they ride the ride for the first time. That's it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's an interesting attempt at a new revenue stream. And yes, I'm sure that somebody at Disney said, well, look what happened with the interactive ones. But it's like, look, I have seven Harry Potter books and eight Harry Potter movies yeah. where I see these people wielding these wands. Show me the Spider-Man movie or the comic book where somebody's using this wrist thing yeah. other than here in this attraction. I mean, there's just, a, there's just a lot of concerns I have on it. The other thing too is like, okay, so you, like, you're right the first time, right? Mm -hmm. You realize that you, you, this might be enjoyable. So you pay the $65. Mm -hmm. Now you got to get in line again for it. Yeah. So unless yeah. The, unless they're giving you some sort of like front of the line access along with it, which is an interesting mm -hmm. idea, what other things could you could you monetize on an existing ride? Again, front, uh, you know, first I want to be the first seat on Space Mountain, you know, something like that, or you know, I, I don't want to get wet on. Uh, how much would you pay to turn the water down a little bit on uh, on Collie River Rapids? Stuff like that. I have another way to go here, Len. I would pay good money to ride in the elevator down on the Hunter Mansion with people who aren't reciting the It's <laughs> Always My Way. <laughs> the talking and the no talking group. Oh my Hell God, yeah. that's it. You know? I would pay money for that yeah. too. There you go. All right. All right, Jim, let's do some listener questions. Uh, so this is a follow-up from Becky, who remember wrote in last week and asked about Mir's transportation from the Dolphin. Remember, she's staying at the Dolphin and had a question about bus service now that it's Mir's, not Disney. And the question was, should she walk to the boardwalk or to the Yacht Club to catch a bus to the Magic Kingdom? Uh, and would it be allowed? Okay, so I, I originally said, I don't think it's worth the walk because we sent someone over to time the buses from the Swan and the Dolphin and they're running every 30 minutes and so on. Um, and then a bunch of people wrote in saying that I didn't explicitly mention that the Swan and the Dolphin buses drop off at the TTC now, not Ooh. the Magic Kingdom, and I definitely forgot about that. Yep. But so my next question was, does it actually change the math? So we mm -hmm. sent researchers out again, this mm -hmm. time to time the bus ride from the TTC to the Magic Kingdom. And so this is what they found. So the maximum wait for a bus to leave the TTC once you board in the morning is around six minutes, and that's way faster than I expected it would be. And then the trip mm -hmm. itself takes four minutes. So your expected time, trip time, from the Swan and Dolphin to the Magic Kingdom bus stop, like the, the actual Magic Kingdom itself, using mirrors is half of the bus weight, so 
the bus mm-hmm. waits 30 minutes, so half that is 15, plus the drive to the TTC, which is 11 minutes, plus uh, half the wait for a bus at the TTC, which is three minutes, plus the drive to the TTC, uh, the drive to the Magic Game itself, which is four minutes. So that's 33 minutes total. Mm-hmm. Versus walking to the Yacht Club, which is nine minutes, I checked on Google Maps, plus half the wait for a Disney bus, which let's say it's eight minutes, plus the drive to the Magic Kingdom bus stop, which is, let's say it's 13 minutes because you don't have to go to the TTC, and that's 30 minutes. Okay, so if you use the Mirrors transportation, it's 33 minutes. If you use the Disney transportation, it's 30 minutes. So the question then is whether you'd walk nine minutes, possibly in the hot Florida sun, to potentially mm-hmm. save three minutes where you could be sitting down. I'm not entirely sure the answer to that is yes. Yeah. So I think my original answer is uh, still stands, which was mm-hmm. if you know you just missed the Mirrors bus at the Swan, walk over to the Yacht Club, otherwise stay at the, stay at the Swan. The old sweaty fat guy approves of this math. Sitting could sound so much better than walking nine minutes in the hot sun. Yes, that's thanks. But anyway, thanks to uh, thanks to everybody that wrote in and uh, everybody that texted me uh, with that particular question. It was uh, it was definitely worth researching. All right, here's a question from Marcel. He says, uh, "Hi, Len and Jim. I hope all is well across the pond. We're looking forward to visiting Disney World again in 2022. Today, and that's the day that we're recording this. Uh, the new UK and Ireland offer was launched for Disney." Before COVID, this offer would include a free dining plan. This time we get a dining credit of about $30 per day per person. Do you think an offer with a dining plan will come back later this year? Or will this be the best offer we'll get? Thank you, Marcel. All right. So, Jim, this is interesting. So, I checked this offer and it's true. So, instead of offering a dining plan where you get a certain number of components, you know, sit-down meals and counter-service meals and snacks and so on, they're basically saying we'll give you this many dollars per day to spend on food. You've talked about this just recently, about the food supply issues that Disney has been having at the parks. Now, mind well, look you, at Disneyland. I mean, Disneyland is basically, what, what, you know, what, are we, what are the cast members buying at Costco on their way in? That's what, that's what we're serving today. Oh, it's crab legs. So fantastic, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> or dinosaur-shaped ch- chicken nuggets, whichever <laughs> exactly. they happen to have in bulk at the time. So, yeah, I mean, I hate to say this, but until I think Disney feels going to, forgive me for using this term, you know, more food secure, yeah. this is kind of the way they're going to go for yeah. a while. Before they, okay, are, are supply chains back up or, you know, or has chicken returned to a reasonable price? Well, the, the other thing is, too, I mean, think about this. So we've, we've talked on previous shows recently about the difficulty Disney's facing in getting workers back into the parks, especially for restaurants, right? Mm-hmm. So, oh, yeah. you know, for Disney to, to offer a dining plan to a mm-hmm. wide swath of people, you know, one that includes counter service restaurants and sit down restaurants. They have to have mm-hmm. the sit down restaurant capacity, not only to satisfy those people for the dining plans that they sell, but also for everyone else who's going to walk in, right? Or make reservations not using the dining plan. And I think what Disney is saying is like, it's still too early for us to say that in 2022, that capacity will back, be back to pre pandemic levels, which is. Probably will be, but if you're Disney and, and you need to make that call today, would you bet that way? And I think the, uh, the they took the safe thing and said, you know what, we can always offer the dining plan later. And I, I think no, that's what I this guess. is here. I think it's like, do we have or will we have the capacity to satisfy everybody's needs under a dining plan? Because you don't want to sell somebody a dining plan that says, you know, you get three sit-down meals a day or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever it is. And then have only five sit-down restaurants open across the entire park, right? Like that would just be 
you'd basically be selling something that you know can't be redeemed and that would just make people angry. And the ripple effect of what that causes for, you know, I guess relations, likewise, what people are saying when they get home from their vacation, right. it's just sort of like, we don't need this right now. Yeah. So let's set up something we can actually deliver and let's look to the future and see what happens. The, so. the other thing too is with this, they can, they can test out different offers and say, you know, how much of a dining credit in dollars per day do you need to make this incentive worthwhile to you? Right. So Excellent I think, point. I think yeah. one was mm-hmm. like, one of the meal, one of the, the dining credits was like $65 per day. Another one was like, I, I could be wrong here, but like 51. And then another one was 30. And they could tweak those numbers endlessly to see what makes sense for people. So Marcel, no, I don't think there'll be a dining plan offer out until we get restaurant capacity back to normal. This may be the best offer that you get at least this year. Well, I mean, they can always offer it next year too, right? So, True. all right. And here is a, another uh, capacity-related question from Kathy, who says, given the increase in park hours and dining options and reports of cast member callbacks, along with rumors of park capacity increases and resumption of AP renewals, when do you think DVC will lift the 50% borrowing limit on points? Have you heard anything or have a guess as to when DVC members might be able to borrow all of their next year's points again? So we just talked about this with this, yeah. there's this huge yeah. pool of unused points. Kathy, I'd be surprised if that happened this year. If the DVC lifted the borrowing limits, I mean, there are so many people with so many points chasing so few rooms, right? And you think about like all the stuff that they have to contend with in the fall. Like people are going back to school in person, which means they can't mm-hmm. probably travel. I mean, you know, as we as we start resuming more normal life, people aren't going to be able to. You know, some people will actually go back to office work. Yeah, God forbid. No, they- but you know. <laughs> Yes. It, what is this thing you call office? Yeah. And yeah, we can probably anticipate DVC tap on the brakes into well into yeah. 2022, right? So, yeah. I mean, I'd be surprised if you'd be able to to, to borrow more than 50 percent of your. I mean, that's. I, I don't think it's going to happen this year. I'd, I'd be surprised if it happened a year. I mean, maybe a year from now. But there's so many points chasing the rooms right now, and that's why you saw things like when Disney announced a DVC cruise on the new DVC ship, The Wish, you had to pay with points. Oh, yeah. And that's, again, one of the ways that, they, that they're trying to get people to spend points. So it, it, it didn't to- seem like it was a great deal looking at it from a points perspective. But, you know, again, anything that they can do to, uh, to, to have people burn points, they'll, they'll do it. Yeah, that's where we are right now. Here's a question from Lynn, who says, uh, Hi, Jim and Lynn. Wondering if you'd offer your opinion on a Catch-22 situation I'm experiencing with Disney dining reservations. We have a group of seven going soon, and I was trying to find sit-down restaurants with outdoor seating available. I was shocked to discover that outdoor seating cannot be reserved, and if we decide to take a chance to get an outdoor table, say at Rosen Crown, and aren't successful, we must choose between eating inside and possibly contracting COVID or pay the $70 no-show for our, our entire party. After speaking with several cast members, the consensus was that I should shut up and enjoy Pecos Bills. <laughs> We're a year into COVID. I can't be the first with these concerns. So that's, uh, that's, a, that's an excellent way of putting that, Lynn. So here's the thing, right? In my experience with dining, and again, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm saying as a, as a regular guest, not as, you know, I'm Len Testa. But my experience mm-hmm. is, is they will work with you once you have a reservation and you actually show up, right? So if you mm-hmm. say you want outdoor seating, and, and I think especially if you're going anytime soon, like next week, Jim, it's going to be literally 99 degrees in Orlando a couple of days. Mm-hmm. So Lynn, if you're going anytime soon and you volunteer to sit outside instead of in the air conditioning, they will bring you as much ice water as you want. Like they will, <laughs> you will have almost no trouble sitting outside. I think the, the thing is that Disney just doesn't want to guarantee it. 
right? And it's never, I think, everything to do with COVID. They just, it's probably that their reservation system is not set up to be able to guarantee that, right? It's nothing, I think that's, it's, it's as simple as that. Also, remember, we are coming up on our 50th year of operations at the Walt Disney World Resort. And after all that time, they have learned that when there's a pissing down rainstorm going outside, you know, it's really hard to persuade people, well, we have tables available outside, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and and here's a poncho. I mean, that, that also kind of factors into the whole, yes, we have outdoor seating. Yeah. When forget, they, yeah, the, weather, yeah, the yeah. very thing between the extremes of heat or the the rain, you talk with people in food service. It's like yes, we have those tables, but we can't count on those tables. Right. Or yeah. More to the point, during the day, if we're planning, you know, put so many guests out there, and then we have an extremely rainy day, we're slammed trying to get all those people seated indoors. Right. So, so Lynn, I don't think you'll have any trouble getting an outdoor table if you let's say you you can't get an outdoor table. I would be very very surprised if you voiced your concerns about sitting uh, being seated indoors to somebody at the reservation stand at the restaurant and they did not just cancel your reservation at no charge. Like I would be very, very surprised if that didn't happen. So I don't think that's really a risk there. The thing that they want you to do is make a good faith effort to show up. And that's why the thing is there. Um, I think you'll be fine. But let me know how that goes, please. All right, uh, Jim, a question from Vince. We have a big family trip planned for December to Walt Disney World, staying at the Contemporary. During, uh, due to COVID, Disney hasn't announced if there'll be a Mickey's Very Merry Christmas party this year, although I'm sure they'll make it happen. Uh, so it's probably be like, you know, celebration of Mickey's holidays or whatever. For planning purposes, what days of the week has Very Merry typically fallen on? I'd like to book a day at the Magic Kingdom with some amount of certainty. Thanks for your help. So I looked this up, Vince, for 2019, uh, and it actually varied by month. In November of 2019, so pre-Thanksgiving, the most common days of the week for the parties were Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. There was one on Wednesday. And then the other days of the week, the Magic Kingdom was open later to compensate for the days on which it closed early. In December, it was Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. So Saturday was typically the day in which the Magic Kingdom was open later. Just something else to add to the pile for the decision-making process here. Because, again, we just had the Halloween not after hours events. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it started in August just as Mickey's Not So Scary used to. So I just wanted to point out that if we're we're referencing the the 2019 schedule, they didn't start Mickey's Very Merry till November 8th. So if there's typically a week between the end of the That's it exactly. And if I were a betting man, I'd start looking from November 15th onward. We can't necessarily count on them starting it at the exact same time. Well, that's interesting because Thanksgiving this year is the 25th. So let's say it starts the week of the 8th. They'd have two. and So they typically don't run the Halloween parties the week of Thanksgiving, which would be the week Mm -hmm. of the 22nd. So they would run it. So you'd have two weeks in November, the week of the 8th and the week of the 15th. Mm -hmm. But Vince is staying and is going in December. So he should be safe. All right. Yeah. yeah, No, that makes sense. It's just going to be interesting to see when this Christmas after hours event gets in motion and when they actually do start offering tickets. I, I can't wait to see what the prices are. I have the smelling salt sitting here right now. <laughs> All right. Last uh, listener question from Greg. As a fan of the Run Disney races and Marathon Weekend in particular, I'd love to know if you have any insight into those races returning. As Florida reopens and guests return to Walt Disney World, all of us runners are waiting with bated breath, which is dangerous for a runner. Thanks and keep up the good work with the show. Good one, Greg. That was good, good one. Greg. It's good. good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I checked with my sources today. Absolutely, I've heard absolutely nothing about Run Disney for mm-hmm. 2022. My understanding is 
that they're waiting to see what the other marathons do between now, uh, now and sort of the end of summer. So we know that the, um, the New York City Marathon, which is this fall, has already gone virtual, but they may announce something relatively soon for 2022. So we'll see there. You know, I think at this point, Run Disney Race is optional. If they do something like, say, you know, show me proof of vaccination, you know, because you, you know how tightly you're packed in those corrals, even if you're outdoors. Yeah. You know, if they say you got to show proof of vaccination, then I think they can run it. And I think that's the, the big question that they're asking themselves now. Like, what, what can we ask these people to do mm-hmm. in order to have the number of runners we need to make this mm-hmm. thing financially worthwhile? And at its height, this is a huge revenue stream. Oh, yeah. I mean, tens of thousands of of runners and then their families and stuff like that. I mean, it's just it's a lot. So, I mean, again, if you've run the race, you know how tightly packed those corrals are. Those people are your best friends for, you know, for five hours. I mean, there's just a lot of stuff that goes on there. So I think that's the thing that they're worried about. But, yeah, I mean, I I can't wait to to either, you know, be in 36 degree weather in 4 a.m. or at 78 degree weather at 4 at 4 a.m. You know, on the outskirts of Epcot, with my shoes wet from running down an embankment to pee before the race. Yeah, it's great. Let's do this all again. Oh, that's like a wonderful experience. <laughs> it's, like, it's you know when you wake up at 2:30 and you're like, okay, I've got to I've got to slam this banana in three coffees so that I can go out mm-hmm. to stand in either the cold or the heat until 5:30 a.m. when this race goes. You know, like and I, I paid twenty five hundred dollars for this. Why didn't I just stay home and buy a Peloton? Like, you know, like, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> things that you ask yourself. <laughs> All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim continues the stories and how characters like Zorro ended up in the Disney theme parks. We'll be right back. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So this is the fourth of our four-part series on Davy Crockett, Zorro, and Mandalorian in the parks. When we left off, Walt had provided ABC with a Zorro TV show, and for the moment, everybody was happy, right? Yep. He set up Zorro at ABC because they were one-third owner of Disneyland Inc. at that point, and he didn't want ABC executives tapping the brakes on his proposed expansion of Tomorrowland, which was going to add Matterhorn and the subs and the monorails to the park in one fell swoop for $6 million. So he provides ABC with this Davy Crockett replacement. Zorro, half-hour show, debuts October 10th, 1957. 
That's on a Wednesday night. Mind you, the Disney, Walt Disney's Disneyland show Mm -hmm. that airs on Thursday nights. Mm -hmm. And the Mickey Mouse Kitty show is running Monday through Friday in most markets in the five to six o'clock slot just before dinner. So at this point, ABC has three hit television shows that Walt Disney Productions is producing for that network. And advertisers are paying top dollar to have their commercials air during Zorro, the Mickey Mouse Club, and Walt Disney Presents. So the money's just pouring in. That's great. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. Again, you'd think all parties would be happy with that situation, but but here's the thing about money, Len. Like, you know, how much is enough? <laughs> you're you're asking this in the context of Disney Jim, and I think we all know what the answer is. Yes, a sixty-five dollar shooter to get on the web slinger ride. But ABC has taken the money that they they're making off of all these Disney produced shows, and you have to remember when when Walt signed his deal with a, the American Broadcasting Company, fifty-three, of the three networks at that time: NBC, CBS, and ABC. ABC's a, a distant third. In fact, you know, the joke at that time was ABC stood for the almost broadcasting company. Hmm. By 57, that's all changed. Due to the popularity of three Disney shows, ABC's now signed up dozens of news affiliates. Its its broadcast schedule is so much more competitive with CBS and NBC, more penetration of the country. By the way, I got a lot of the info for this this part of the the series from Bill Carter's wonderful book, The Wonderful World of Disney Television, A Complete History. Uh, Definitely, if you want to learn more about this, problem is it was published 28 years ago, back in September of 97, and I really wish somebody at Disney would... Tell Mr. Cotter to please update this. It, it's not on Kindle, then, is what you're saying. Is what I mean, it's what I well, mean. there we go. So ABC is using the popularity of these shows to fund development of new shows for the network. Okay. And a lot of that money is coming directly from the sales of commercials, which are then broadcast on weekly airings of Zorro, uh, Mickey Mouse Club, and Walt Disney. Problem is, there's only so many ad slots you can sell per hour, right. or in the case of Zorro, a half hour. So ABC executives, in order to create more slots so they can then sell additional ads, begin making cuts to Zorro, the Mickey Mouse Club, and the Walt, uh, Walt really? Disney Disneyland show. They start editing the yeah. show on their own. They make these minute-long trims here and there so they can more room for ads. And the weird part of it is ABC has the right to do this. The contract really? that Roy- well, again, you got to remember, Walt and Roy were newbies when it came to television. And more to the point, in 1953, television was new to television. Yeah. So there was language in the contract that said, for the rerun of the show, the network has the right to make cuts to put in additional commercials. And, okay. and you got to remember, this is also back in the day when you did a season of television, Len, and it was 39 episodes. Okay. Typically, these days, when a television show gets greenlit for production or a continuing season, they'll get an initial order of 13 episodes. Yeah. And then by November, if people like what they see, the network will then pick up the back nine, which means they then have a full season order of 22, 22. episodes. But 22 today is considered, oh, my God, yeah. look at all those episodes, as opposed to 39 Anyway, getting back to Zorro, and you were talking about Zorro days at Disneyland. This was held five times, Len. It was initially held April 26th to the 27th of 1958. It was so popular that they brought it back for May 30th, June uh, 1st of that same year. And then finally, they brought it back for November 27th through the 30th of, of 58. Wow. 
Okay, Zorro days. And then there were additional events in November of 59 and November of 60, but three different Zorro days held at Disneyland in 1958 all by itself. And easy to understand that's, you know, the first season of Zorro runs on ABC from uh, October 57 through July of 58. So the show is, is white hot at that point. Okay. Also, again, Walt is building the Matterhorn, the subs on the monorail, and needs as much money as possible for the $6 million project. Plus, that, that part of the park is now construction, right? Well, no, that's it exactly. So what I'm hearing is that Epcot's future world will, at some point in the near future, have Zorro days. <laughs> yes, how, yes. How has no one thought of this? Mandalorian days. Mandalorian okay, days at Epcot. <laughs> you know what? Does it make sense? No. Do we care? No. <laughs> no. There we go. So what was Zorro days at, at Disneyland like? All right, if you were Zorro fam, it, w- it was heaven on earth. Because regularly, the cast would parade up and down Main Street, USA, but four times a day in Frontierland, along the rooftops of the buildings there, the cast of the show would actually stage a sword fight. And to be honest, if you were going to see one of these shows, you wanted to catch the fourth one, the, the one that was the at the latter part of the day, because what would happen is the sword fight would actually continue along the rooftop, go down to the street, and then cross to the Mark Twain Riverboat, where the final moment of the fight would be up on the, the upper deck of the Mark Twain. And Guy Williams, dressed in Zorro, would, would force the actor, I'm blanking his name, sorry, the gentleman who played the Commandante. Wait, the, the actual actors from the TV show were doing the sword the fight? The actual actors from the TV show, yes. <laughs> so, like Mark Hamill is now doing four a days <laughs> in, in Galaxy's Edge. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> But, but the part of it is I love is that they're, at the end of the battle on the Mark Twain, Guy Williams would force the Commandante to jump off of the boat into the what? water. Okay, hold on, hold on. Jim, did anyone from the any insurance company sign off on any of this? It was a very different timeline. And, and more to the point, the fact that somebody didn't die, because isn't the water- I was going to say, how- Six it's feet? Not, it's, okay, maybe, it's not 10 feet deep. Yeah, no, not at all. So it's one of these things where it's like, hey, maybe you should pull up your legs before you, know, you hit the between bottom. this and the New Year's Eve baby thing on the zip yeah. line, you got to think to yourself whether anyone at Disneyland like, actually knew the dangers of anything that they were doing. That's, that's crazy. Absolutely. You know why they did? They made it the last show of the day, so that they need to replace the dude for the, they, they'd have all night to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to the Salvation Army. <laughs> They're going to like, you know, <laughs> hey, you need some money, kid? <laughs> Come here. <laughs> I, got, I got a job for you tomorrow. You go. Oh, God. <laughs> all right. So you had Imagineers who were kids growing up in Southern California who went to this event because they remembered it. And when they were designing Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, in fact, you can go today to the, uh, I want to say it's the area directly around the First Order Thai Echelon. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a whole area there where they've got spaces set up for characters to, uh, to walk and run along. And it's supposed to be for fighting. Yeah. Yeah. Evidently, what ended up happening was a one-two punch of they cut the entertainment budget so they couldn't have the stunt performers do this several times a day. And the folks in the safety department are like, they're going to do what now while they're wearing their stormtrooper helmets, which have terrible sight lines? Yeah. It's like, no, 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 that's not going to happen. So we were mentioning earlier that TV season back then, 39 episodes. 39 so we got, half a, I mean, yeah, could you so, imagine if there were 39, if TV series, TV seasons were 39 episodes, do you imagine how much David Boreans we would have? 
on television <laughs> right now? God. Anyway, all right, go ahead. So we get 39 episodes of uh, Zorro in from October 57 to 58. Okay. And then we get a second season, full season, 39, from October 58 through July 59. Zorro's doing great ratings-wise, and so is the Mickey Mouse Club and the Walt Disney Presents Anthology Show. But Walt is unhappy about this whole, you're cutting into the reruns and you're suiting more ads. He's actually getting letters now from parents whose kids are watching the Mickey Mouse Club show, which because it's run five days a week, the reruns are happening that much quicker. Yep. And so it's like, there are parents at home like, have you seen how many commercials are in this thing? And, and, yeah. and Walt feels bad about that. So he goes to ABC and said, you got to stop doing this. And they're like, read your contract, Walt. So what Walt says, well, you know, my contract with you is up in fall of 61. What if I take my show to another network? And this very frosty moment between mm-hmm. Walt Disney Production and ABC happens to the point of ABC, which is sort of staring down the barrel of he's going to take these shows that we made popular yeah. and take them to CBS and NBC. Well, yeah. we can't have that. So yeah. they so, actually, so basically from that point forward, every additional TV episode that airs is an advertisement for Walt Disney's services to CBS and, uh, and NBC. Yeah. Okay. All right. Got it. So what ABC executives decide to do is you have two hit series, the Mickey Mouse Club and you have the Zorro show. They canceled them in season two. Oof. They do this in the summer of 59, July 2nd, 1959, Roy Disney turns around and files a lawsuit against ABC. And the, the filing actually says, several weeks ago, the ABC network advised us and announced publicly they would not televise Zorro or the Mickey Mouse Club over the network next season. At the same time, they told us we could not offer these programs to any other television outlet. Subsequently, they have interfered with our efforts to offer these programs to any other networks or independent stations. We do not dispute ABC's right to discontinue these or any programs on the network, but we will fight these maneuvers to suppress these shows. So remember, though, when, when Walt first started out, right, and he had Oswald, his, he goes to New York to negotiate a different rate for Oswald, realizes that the distributor actually owned the rights to Oswald and bought out all of his animators. So I'm sure Walt's contract here, Walt had learned from that, and there was no way that ABC owned the concept of Zorro or Mickey Mouse Club. See, that was something that had to be determined in the courts. And it took the next 10 months, Len. It wasn't till July of 1960, the following year, that they worked out a semi-amicable solution. At this point, Walt Disney Productions agrees to buy out ABC's one-third interest in Disneyland for $7.5 million. Literally, I, I would buy one-third of the- Disneyland right now for $7.5 million. <laughs> But it wasn't just that. In fact, we were talking on on last week's show about Leonard Goldenson, the president and founder of ABC, and he he made this personal line. He made this hurt because in addition to that seven point five million that Disney had to hand over to get the third of Disneyland stock back, Goldenson made a term of this condition that in addition to this payment. For the next five years, you know, 1960 to 1965, okay. ABC would have the right to run most of the fast food concessions at Disneyland. And given that on an average year, $2.5 million a year in fast food sales. So they didn't just get $7.5 million. 
for their stock back, they got an additional $12.5 million total wow. over okay. that five so, years. So in, in U.S. dollars, now mm-hmm. in modern dollars, multiply that by eight. So that's $100 million. <sighs> $100 million in concessions. Because I was going to say, you know, if you, if, when you originally said that ABC was giving up one-third interest in Disneyland for $7.5 million yeah. and yeah. freeing up Disney to, from its contract with ABC, I'm like, that is literally the worst contract negotiation I've ever heard in my entire life. You know, what did, did ABC also ask to get slapped in the head? Like, what, <laughs> what was ABC getting at that? Okay, but they're getting $100 million in fast food revenue. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I can see how no one, no one's entirely happy with this thing, but okay. No, right. no. Walt particularly. And he sort of digs in his heel. Because he knows. I, I mean, just, he's like, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm investing in the parks. That fast food number is going to go up every year. Yeah. yeah. So it kills him. But in fact, in 1965, at, at Disneyland's 10th Centennial Celebration, Walt actually talks about this. That my brother Roy figured we'd better bite those guys out. I wasn't happy with the terms that the ABC set, but my brother figured if we don't buy them out now, we're going to be paying a lot more later. And in the end, mm. it was a smart move that we did it then. Yeah, again, I mean, one-third interest in Disneyland, $7.5 million, multiply that by eight. It's, it's, they basically paid $60 million in today money for one-third interest in Disneyland. That's a bargain. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. But anyway, October of 1960, Walt cuts a deal with NBC. They're going to move the Disney anthology series over to that network. They get a three-year deal with options to renew, and that show will launch in uh, the fall of 61. In the meantime, now that... ABC and and Disney are making nice. Walt tries to revive the Zorro franchise. This is, okay. When, when in 1960? They've come to terms in, in June of 1960. So Walt tries to revive the Zorro show. So they do, they actually do for the next two seasons of the Walt Disney Presents TV show. They do two hour long episodes per season for Zorro with the hope that, okay, we can throw, you know, I know it, the, the fire's kind of gone up, but we throw some gasoline on it. You know, it'll, it'll come back up. And that's just not the case. Right. Because we transitioned from yeah. in the mid 50s, we had, you know, the Davy mm-hmm. Crockett thing. But yeah. I think you mentioned this actually on a show once. But mm-hmm. when Russia launched Sputnik mm-hmm. in the US, had Alan Shepard. Nobody wanted coonskin caps anymore. Everyone wanted to be an astronaut. John Lasseter talked about that's really the dynamic of the Toy Story movies, if you think about it. You know, the oh, no, totally. That yeah, had, that's exactly it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you have the Woody toy that feels threatened by you know, the fact that he's being replaced by the Spaceman toy. Mm. So 17 years after Walt Disney dies in December of 66, Walt Disney Production does take a stab at reviving the franchise. They produce five episodes of a sitcom called Zorro what? and Son. Yep. In the 80s. In the 80s. It's a parody show kind of done in the style of the airplane movies or the police squad movies. Doesn't find an audience and it debuts in April of 83 and it's gone by the first week of May of the same year. Likewise, in 88, Disney tries to relaunch its anthology show on NBC that for a single season there's a show called The Magical World of Disney, and they actually revive Davy Crockett as part of this. And why it's interesting to go look at now is the wraparound device for these episodes is you have the elderly Davy Crockett setting up his own stories. And what's okay. genuinely cool about this is they hired Johnny Cash no. to play the elderly Davy Crockett. 
and you get his voice for the narration. I mean, it's Tim Gunnigan who's playing the young Davy who does the actual adventures, but the okay. wraparounds are great. Okay. It's no idea ever, ever dies at Disney, right? Yep. If they want to come back with this, I'm just saying right now, Willie Nelson is Davy Crockett. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> I like this idea. I like this idea. So that didn't work? Again, it was an attempt at an anthology show during a time when variety shows were dying. And yeah. I mean, think about- In 88, I mean, Johnny Cash. Like, Johnny Cash is a legend now, right? Uh, and, but but he, this is in his, in his down, downturn, right? This is before he became cool again. Even Steven Spielberg during that time launched his own anthology series, Amazing Stories. And he got a two-season deal from NBC, and it was gone at the end of two seasons. That People just weren't interested in the anthology format. Right. But now for streaming, oh my God. I don't know. Yeah. It, you know, in right. fact, it, I'd love if somebody at Disney would, would find these episodes, you know, just for us Johnny Cash fans. Obviously, Davy Crockett and Zorro live on at Disney Parks. Uh, we have, especially in Anaheim, where we have the Davy Crockett Explorer Canoes. And we also have Rancho del Zo Zocalo. Yep. I cannot tell you whatever, you know, on previous shows we've talked about Rancho del Zocalo. Hold on. You're about to tell this story, and I think it's the greatest story we've ever told. So go ahead. <laughs> No buildup or anything on it. I, I had no idea either. Go ahead. <laughs> the whole notion of really, this is where Doritos came from? Go ahead. This is the, and, and in fact, for me, what's fascinating to tell this story now in the moment where, you know, get you know, this is public fight going on about who. Uh, flaming Hot Cheetos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it, exactly. Okay, okay, okay. That's what I was going to try and tie it in. Okay, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, well, but, but that's it, exactly. That as the story goes, you know, and this is prior to the restaurant being named Rancho del Zocalo. At this point, it's still called Casa del Frito. Okay. Would change its name to Casa Mexicana in 82 before okay. uh, going with Casa del Zocalo in February 2001. But anyway. It's the early 1960s. Okay. This is when, during the off-season, Disneyland closes on Mondays and Tuesdays. Okay. And a lot of these outside restaurants, you know, the restaurants are still being run by lessees. Yep. And so one day, a gentleman who works for Alex Foods, all right, which is the supplier for Casa del Fritos, you know, shows up on a, a Monday or a Tuesday and notices, well, you know, it, it's the weekend, after the weekend, and, geez, you have this giant pile of unused tortillas that, you know, they're just throwing straight into trash, and it's like, how wasteful that is. And it's like, now, wait a minute. Did, did you know if you, you cut those into triangles and then throw them into the deep fryer and then put a little Mexican seasoning on them, that's actually a snack that's really popular in Mexico? And and the cook who's working at the restaurant's like, oh, well, yeah, I guess we could try that. And they begin offering that as just sort of when you sit down at the restaurant, it's like they drop the thing here, nibble on these while we get you your menus and your drinks and that sort of thing. And they would come to the tape, back to the table and they'd be gone. And people like, those are great. Can we have more of those? <sighs> so they offered him initial for free of charge. <laughs> for free. Just, yeah. They did it because they then didn't have to give them a bag of Fritos, which cost money. And so um, yesterday's and so tortillas became Doritos. Today's Doritos. Oh. And because they're so popular, they actually put them on the menu and begin charging for them. And then one day in 1964, the VP of marketing for Frito-Lay 
goes to Disneyland. And the gentleman's name is Arch West. Uh, he has lunch at Casa de Fritos. And it's like, what is this thing? that I've never seen this, but where did this come from? And it's like, well, I, I, you know, they're Doritos. You know, and, and yeah. we make them. And so he actually goes into the kitchen, finds out what they're doing, takes the idea back. They then, the following year, test market them in Southern California. They sell out faster than oh, the company yeah. can actually I mean, make. I mean, Doritos you know, are... I mean, one of the quintessential snack foods. So what ends up happening is that it's so successful in the Southern California market, they start having the produce, these chips produced en masse at their Tulsa, Oklahoma plant and distribute them nationwide starting in 1967. And the Dorito we know and love today is here because somebody saw a pile of tortillas that have been thrown out of trash at Disneyland. At Disneyland. So, so Disneyland is, is indirectly responsible for the creation of Doritos. There we go. There that's we go. An amazing and, and story. It's one of these things where it's like, that's all well and good, but you still can't buy that many bags of Doritos. I was going to say, okay. no, I really want Doritos right now. That's funny. That's right. You know, they're, they're usually collectibles. No, they're junk food. Stop. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm just, I'm reminiscing about my time in Disneyland. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'm not mindlessly eating in front of the TV. <laughs> All right. So to bring things to a close here, we, we started by talking about the Mandalorian. Yeah. All right. So, so real quick, I was, uh, uh, when we talk about the Mandalorian, I was texting mm-hmm. with, uh, with our friend of the show and all around star Wars fan, um, Brad last night. And he pointed out that in doc Ondar's, mm-hmm. you can get a copy of Ray's lightsaber, which she acquires in episode nine, but that too is supposed to be set between episodes eight and nine. So Ray yes. can't have her lightsaber yet. So uh, Disney doesn't seem especially concerned about canon inside Batu. But the reason why I mentioned this, Jim, is while I was texting with Brad, mm-hmm. I was also watching the movie, movie Galaxy Quest um, last night for the first time. Have you seen this movie? I love this movie. I love yes. this movie. So, yeah. <laughs> so Laurel's asleep, right? I'm watching the movie and I'm yeah. trying not to be loud or anything. But mm-hmm. Tim Allen, remember the scene where Tim Allen is being chased by the rock monster <laughs> and he needs suggestions for how to defeat it. And then Sam Rockwell says, can you form some sort of rudimentary lathe? <laughs> I laugh for like no. five minutes. <laughs> the least helpful suggestion you could possibly no. make at that moment. <laughs> and he says it off camera. Like, you know, he yeah. had it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, but at the same time, what's, what's wonderful about <laughs> Galaxy's Edge is it, it's this rare film that, that can, can have it both ways. Yeah, it's clearly it makes fun of the a, people, but then rewards yeah. them at the end. Yeah, no, that, that that's exactly it. In fact, I love oh, the fact God. that for the entire movie, Sam Rockwell is like, "Oh my God, I'm a red shirt. I'm going <laughs> to die." Gonna you die. Know? <laughs> and then at the end, he gets a, he gets an actual credit, a name credit. There we go. Yeah, yeah. a cool. fantastic movie. Anyway, all right. So so how how do they bring the Mandalorian in? When they were making the decisions about the Star Wars land, initially there was going to be this area that, that, that was tied to Tatooine and Mos Eisley. And the notion was Kathleen Kennedy was the one who put the kibosh in this. Like, mm-hmm. look, we don't want to be focused on Star Wars past. We want to be focused on Star, Star Wars, Wars future. future. Right. And Star Wars future right now, Len, is on Disney+. Plus. Is on prequels, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Prequels on Disney+. And, Plus, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you think about it. You've got things like The Bad Batch, the, the animated series. Yeah. That's actually set between Revenge of the Sith and Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Likewise, this December, we're going to get The Book of Boba Fett, which it said after Return of the Jedi and yeah. before The Force Awakens. Likewise, the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. This is uh, Obi-Wan before Episode 4. 
Yes, it's, yes. It's a prequel. You so know. this is an early Obi-Wan. Okay. Well, this is the Obi-Wan after having turned infant Luke Skywalker over to Uncle Owen and Aunt Peru. You okay. know, and then, you know, sitting on Tatooine waiting till I become important to the plot again. Okay. By the way, I've also been informed by folks at Lucasfilm, we should not expect to see The Mandalorian Season 3 till at least... The latter part of 2022. Oh, yeah. I mean, everything, all production was pushed off because of COVID. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But originally, Imagineering set up Batu as a place where the characters from the most recent trilogy, we're talking Ray, Finn, Poe, and Kylo Ren, could be found. Thinking now is have to bring in the characters from the Disney Plus shows. And, and, and oddly enough, Len, the thing is, they're feeling tremendous pressure. Because of Star Wars, the Galactic Star Cruiser. Oh, yeah. Oh, speaking of Galaxy Quest, can you imagine the people that are going to go to the Star Wars hotel and have all of the canon (laughs) memorized and be and and literally pick that apart? Like, like we may have to pay for Brad's stay there just so he can go annoy people. (laughs) These computer terminals were not were clearly not used in episode uh, before episode nine. And yeah. Well, see, but that's the thing. When people are going to be paying a lot of money, yeah, you know, for their crews, you know, they're going to want to see the, yeah, it it has to be right. More to the point, it has to be the characters they want to see. Oh yeah, and so it's the whole notion of I want to see, you know, where are the 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 character? Where's Boba Fett? Yeah, you know, where's where's Obi Wan? And so right now, Imagineering has identified this as an issue, but to be honest. It's on the other side of the the Galactic Star Cruiser opening okay. that we will, in fact, see they will significantly ramp up the presence in the land of the from the Star Wars Disney Plus limited series. But again, a lot of that is on back of you know somebody standing as people are coming and going from the hotel. About, All right, were you happy? It's a, what what did you want to see? What didn't you get? And it's like what those people tell them is right. what we will see show up in Batu in 2022 and 2023. All right. So in the current in the current Batu timeline, there is no Obi Wan mm-hmm. Kenobi because he's dead. But again, he's a Force ghost. Ooh. So. Yeah, so if we get if we get to the point where people get in the uh, the Star Wars hotel and say where where the hell is Obi Wan? I want mm-hmm. him as my Jedi Master. There we go. Then all of a sudden it's like, bring me the ghost of Alec Guinness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know who was the who was the ghost in uh, Hamlet? Oh, oh, this is horrible. Oh. That I don't remember this. People are just shouting <laughs> at me right now. Alas, poor Yorick. I knew him well. Yeah, but who's or- the ghost? Yeah. Anyway, it's gonna be like that. They're gonna, they're gonna pull a Shakespeare and bring it, bring him in as a ghost. <laughs> I'm sorry for every English major that I've offended for not remembering this. Laurel's gonna yell at me as soon as I'm done with this recording. All right, so that's how they're gonna bring uh, bring the characters in. So canon canon be damned is what I'm hearing. The thing that they keep hammering home in Imagineering is like, okay, Tiana is a young American girl who lives in Louisiana in the 1920s. Jim, don't get me started on Fun Frontierland. Don't. You're just yeah. I mean, it's just not sort the way of like, to end the show with me upset like that. I love the idea of, of, of Tiana taking over Splash Mountain. I don't understand how it fits in Frontierland in Disneyland. Absolutely mm-hmm. fine in Walt Disney mm-hmm. World. I I don't understand the timeline. Well, you know, Disneyland the, is fine because it's got the Haunted Mansion mm-hmm. next to it and it's New Orleans. That mm-hmm. makes sense, mm-hmm. right? I get that. Walt mm-hmm. Disney World. Well, at that point, it, it was like Mr. Eisner says, <laughs> and yeah. so it's like absolutely that's where it goes. All right. 
<laughs> All right, but we learned about the history of Doritos, Jim, and I think that's a win for any show. In the end, folks, that's the the, 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 the takeaway from this one. <laughs> there we go. That's still fantastic. Mm-hmm. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the show today. Please head on over to DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. We're going to find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes, including our complete Joseph Mankiewicz series on ideas Disney had for Epcot way back in the 1970s. You can find more of Jim at JimHillMedia.com and more of me, LennonToringPlans.com. On next week's show, the history of Disney's on-ride photos, and then after that, the history of Toy Story Midway Mania were produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who'll be performing Sigrid's entire EP, Don't Kill My Vibe, at the 2021 Astoria Scandinavian Midsummer Festival on June 18th, 2021, at the Clotsop County Fairgrounds in beautiful downtown Astoria, Oregon. While Aaron's doing that, please go into iTunes and Radar Show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We'll see you on the next show.